Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. The Vatican has established a series of unprecedented changes that give lay people more influence in the decisions of the church. Breaking news just out of the Vatican at the time of recording. Pope Francis has decided and officially announced that women will have a vote at the upcoming Synod on Synodality and that more than 20% of those who will have a vote will not be bishops. It is expected that Pope Francis will receive a warm welcome in Budapest, which he visited briefly in 2021. And he's coming back because he realizes that this visit here for us Christians, Catholics in Hungary is an encouragement. Pope Francis will travel to Hungary this weekend. While he is there on an official state visit, he will also take time to meet with the Catholic faithful, young people, refugees and asylum seekers, many of whom are from neighboring war-torn Ukraine. The Pontifical Academy for Life has come out with a statement clarifying the stand of its president on assisted suicide. Reads an April 24th press release. The president reiterates his no towards euthanasia and assisted suicide in full adherence to the magisterium. Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, has reiterated the church's strong stance against euthanasia and assisted suicide after comments he made in a speech last week that led some to believe that there had been a major change in church teaching on the matter. Und Genswein, er ist gerade im deutschsprachigen Raum auf Tour und präsentiert sein Buch. Schon bald aber soll er Archbishop Georg Genswein has been asked to leave the Vatican. The Pope announced his much-awaited decision about the future of the German Archbishop, who had been the personal secretary to the late Pope Benedict XVI, in a private audience with an Argentinian journalist last week. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from a warm New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny Rome, Ricardo. So, Jerry, let's get right into this because you've just come back from an impromptu press conference at the Vatican, and there's major news developing there. Pope Francis has changed the voting pattern at the next Synod on Synodality, that women will now have a vote at the Synod on Synodality, the first time this has happened, and also now that lay men will have a vote. Consecrated religious men had had a vote before. But now we're saying that there will be more than 20% of the synod body will be able to vote, and they are not bishops. Yes, this is big news, really. I mean, when you think back, the synod is more than 50 years old. Uh, it was set up as a synod of bishops, and right at the beginning, the bishops were the only ones who could have a vote. And secondly, they were really the only ones that were able to decide anything in the synod. Over the years, there have been various participants. And in recent years, some religious men have been allowed to participate. And if I'm not mistaken, they were given a vote as well in recent times. But 
Always the women were excluded. Women were allowed to participate, as we saw in recent synods, but they could participate, but they, when it came to voting, they were excluded. Yeah. Let's just be clear. When we talk about voting rights at the synod, what does that mean? What are they voting on? Every synod has a part where there's a plenary session, where there are discussions in small groups. In the small groups, they come up with recommendations that they propose to the Pope. They vote on these recommendations, and those recommendations become an important guide or part, element, for the Pope when he comes to writing the final synod document, the apostolic exhortation. Up to now, women could not vote. What is important here, Ricardo, is that non-bishops, this can be priests, it can be consecrated women and men, it can be lay women and men. More than 20% of the members of the coming synod, which opens on October the 4th, and is articulated in two sessions, one this year and one in 2024, more than 20% of the members, that's the voting members, will be Mm non-bishops. And I calculated, if I, but I may be wrong, I calculated perhaps as many as, there could be as many as 40 women voting. But I stand open to correction. Cardinal Mario Gresh, who is the Secretary General of the Synod, and Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich from Luxembourg, who is the Relator General, the key figure in the Synod, came and met us and explained, and they sent, we were sent in advance some pages that outlined the modifications. And uh, Cardinal Hollerich was asked by Elisabetta, he said, uh, uh, is this a revolution? And he said, well, I wouldn't call it a revolution because revolutions have victims. He said, but it is a very important change. And Jerry, you're referring to Elisabetta, your wife, and it's important for us to note that while this decision by the Pope is new, right? The Pope had never made this official publicly. The Pope did actually reveal in an interview with Elisabetta on the occasion of his 10th anniversary for La Nación, the Argentine paper of record, that women would have a vote at the upcoming synod. So he told her that categorically at that time. And that was breaking news at the time. But what we didn't know until today was that it wouldn't be just a few women we would have a sizable 20%, one in five, more than one in five of the participants in the synod members will not be bishops. It's still called a synod of bishops, but it's a real shift in direction and corresponds, I think, to many of the desires and hopes of Catholics in many parts of the world, that their priests, their religious men and women, consecrated men and women, and their lay people, men and women who run many of the parishes, would finally have the possibility of vote. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is going to apply going forward? This is not just for the Synod on Synodality. This will apply to future synods? I am sure that in this, a process has been started a door has been opened, and that door will be widened. And remember some time back, I think we discussed on this program, you had the Synod on on the Amazon. And after that, the bishops' conferences in the nine countries of the Amazon region, they have set up an ecclesial assembly, which they said will replace the conference of bishops. And I, I think we're seeing 
a new chapter in in new development in the in the synod of bishops which was the child of the council 1962-65 the second vatican council we saw it take one shape and now it's beginning to take another shape and it could still develop there's a work in progress i would say cardinal grish said uh, you know the people of god are being more fully integrated into the whole process I, I think we're in, we're in a very, I think, refreshing, encouraging moment in the history of the Synod. And where it will lead to in years down the line uh, is anybody's guess. I mean, and we've seen that the Pope has done that with the Synod, right? Initially, with the Synod on Synodality, the Pope invited the participation of all the lay faithful. And now we have a clear understanding that everybody in the room is going to have a vote. So this is really exciting, and I can't wait to see what happens in October in the Synod Hall. We've seen some explosive arguments and debates between bishops in the Synod Halls before, and this is just going to make the conversation much richer. And Ricardo, I think it is really the fruit of the discussions that have taken place more than 1% of the Catholics of the world, 500,000 in the United States, as a half a million in the United States participated in the Synod discussions. And right across the globe, what we have seen is a very clear desire, wish, push for women to be given a greater role, space, positions in the church. Can you give us an example of contentious voting issues in previous synods where women will now have a voice? Well, I think, on the, for example, on the Synod on the Family, it would have been great to have had women actually voting on the issues that were being discussed there. I mean, there are myriad issues that have been discussed and debated by bishops where women will now bring their voice to bear on these matters. So, Jerry, thank you for this breaking news. We will certainly add a link to your article in the show notes. This news also comes just days before Pope Francis is due to set off for Hungary. He leaves for Hungary on the day that this podcast lands in your feed, Friday, April 28th. He's visiting the Central European nation at the request of the president, and he will be there until Sunday when then he will return to Rome. In Hungary, he's scheduled to meet with government officials, various dignitaries, but also with the Jesuits who minister there, young people and refugees from neighboring Ukraine. What is the significance of these meetings for relations between the Vatican and Hungary and Europe at large? Hungary is a landlocked country in the center of Europe, and it shares borders with seven countries, including Ukraine. It has an 85-mile-long border with Ukraine, and many people from there have fled across that border into Hungary and then to other European countries. So there is this reality of Hungary. Hungary has got a thousand-year Christian history, and it has got very famous saints, and it suffered, uh, the believers suffered enormously at the end of the uh, Second World War when the Nazis were there, but especially under the communism from 1945 to 1989. Here are people who have suffered for the faith, who have in recent years joined the European Union, joined NATO. He is a country that has 
like the other Eastern European countries, being very careful of its neighbor, Russia. So what do you think the political message will be at this time when Pope Francis visits the country? Well, I think, and as I've written in my article, that if we look at the logo for the visit, that's always a clue. The logo shows the chain bridge over the Danube, so the, one, the oldest bridge over the Danube. And that was the bridge that linked the two parts of the Buddha and Pest, the two parts of what is now one city, the capital city. The building of bridges, I think, will be a key theme of this visit, because what has broken down is the bridges between peoples in Europe. Uh, I think the Pope will em emphasize the importance of building unity in Europe again, building peace, but building bridges, building bridges between East and West, not allowing a new Iron Curtain to separate. And I, I think also building bridges because the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, he's been already 12 years as Prime Minister, elected three times. Now he was, last year he was elected for the fourth time. So he will be, he's the longest serving Prime Minister in Europe. But he's a close ally of Vladimir Putin in Russia. And while he's part of the European Union, he's been very reluctant to go with some of the steps of the European Union. He has agreed to the sanctions on Russia. And Prime Minister Orban will meet with the Pope when he is there in the country. Soon after arriving, the Pope will drive to the presidential palace where he'll meet the president, who's a woman. Uh, but the president is a more symbolic figure. The, the one who has the power is the prime minister. And after meeting the president, the Pope will have at least 20, 25 minutes meeting with Viktor Orban, the prime minister. So the Pope knows that he's an ally of Vladimir Putin. In fact, Viktor Orban has said there are only two groups in Europe who want peace, the Vatican and Hungary, which he means the Pope and himself. So the Pope will be looking to see if there's an avenue to get through to Vladimir Putin, because the Pope has tried to communicate with him, but he doesn't get direct answers from him. He has his foreign minister reply, he has somebody else reply, but the, he does not reply directly to the Pope. So we, again, we're seeing the Pope try every which way to get the message across to Vladimir Putin about you know, the importance of coming to the table and dialoguing on the issues in the war between Ukraine and Russia. That, that will be one task of the visit. But the important also is Hungary, under Viktor Orban, has been playing a difficult game with the European Union. Uh, it uh, when they wanted to put on sanctions, it made it very difficult. Also, in terms of the democracy within Hungary itself, they have really limited the free press. They have limited the role of the judges. They have come out very strongly in support of the family, of course, but against LGBT people. It's a pretty difficult discussion for the Pope, and especially on migrants. Hungary has, uh, under Orban, has actually built walls to prevent migrants from other countries coming in. Yeah, so let's look at that. So the Pope is going to meet specifically with refugees. What do we know about that meeting and what he might say to them? Because, of course, while the Pope's visit is an official state visit, he is also very clear that he is going to visit 
the people, right, as he always does. He visits the Catholic faithful and the nation at large. He's there on a pastoral encounter with the people. So what is this meeting with refugees about? He will meet poor people and refugees. But the refugees, the migrants, are from many countries. There will be many of them from the Ukraine. But it's perhaps significant that he's not meeting separately with the Ukrainians, whereas he will meet with the Greek Catholic community in the country, which is a strong role in, in the Ukraine. And then I think his message to Hungary and to Viktor Orban will be, open your doors, don't close the doors, because Orban has been uh, closing doors and saying, we are protecting the Christian identity of this country against the invasion from Muslims from other parts. Jerry, this is the second time that Pope Francis will visit Hungary since his election in 2013. He was first there on September 12th, 2021, to celebrate the closing mass of the International Eucharistic Congress which is an event attended by 100,000 Hungarians and pilgrims from 70 countries. So why is he returning there in such a short span? What do you think the apostolic portion of his visit is about? Well, basically, when he went there in September 2021, he went for the closing mass of the Eucharistic Congress. Actually, at that time, he, he just spent, I don't know, five to seven hours there and then went on to Slovakia for three days. And the Ukrainian people, they said, well, why is he going there, country that's half the size of ours, and not staying with us? They didn't realize at the time that actually the, neither the, the, the prime minister, the president, or the bishop's conference had actually invited the pope to come and stay for longer. So, but they felt slighted, they felt ill-treated by his. And so during his meeting with the president and the prime minister, on that short visit, the president said, Holy Father, you're coming short time here. Our people would like you to come more. He said, okay, I promise I come. Well, Jerry, we'll certainly be paying attention to the Pope's visit to Hungary and any developments there over the weekend, we will report on next week's show. We're now going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll discuss comments made by Archbishop Paglia on euthanasia and the eviction of Cardinal Genschwein from the Vatican. Pontifical Academy for Life came under fire this week after remarks made by its president, Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, at a debate on end-of-life issues on April 19th in Italy. These remarks were then published in Il Reformista, a political and financial newspaper based in Rome. Some websites and bloggers have claimed that Archbishop Paglia's address shows that he is prepared to defend euthanasia and medically-assisted suicide. Following the publishing of this address in Il Reformista, the Archbishop criticized the characterization. In a statement made shortly after the remarks were published, Archbishop Paglia said, in full conformity with the Church's magisterium, that he reaffirms his no to euthanasia and assisted suicide. And this was in a statement made on April 24th. Jerry, what's the story here? What did Archbishop Paglia say, and what's the context for saying it? Yes, this is the reality. There is a discussion in the Parliament on medically assisted suicide. Basically, there have been many, over these past years, there have been many stories about people who are 
completely incapacitated in bed and their families care for them five years, 10 years, 20 years. And these people are not exactly in vegetative state, but in very difficult situations. And some of them have asked for their life to be taken and asked their doctors to end their suffering. So this is part of the debate that's going on in the Italian parliament. And naturally, uh, Archbishop Paglia not infrequently likes to make comments about what's happening in Italy. I think this is basically what happened here. Mm-hmm. And it does seem that his comments were misconstrued. I mean, he, he's clearly feeding into this highly charged debate in Italian parliament over the criminalization of euthanasia and medically assisted suicide. And he's worried that any implications or any changes to the law will have implications on the church's defense of life, its moral teaching on the sanctity of life, dignity, and care for the human person, and those pastoral implications that you speak about for people who are in very serious uh, situations of terminal illness. Yes, and it's it's an issue that's right across Europe, in other countries, not just Italy, Italy, and some have passed legislation. The reality is this kind of thing seems to snowball from one country to another. and But by the end of the time, you could have the 27 European countries, the 27 states of the European Union, actually having some kind of legislation on this. And so the question is, what kind of legislation do you have? My reading of him is that it's better to have a law than not to have a law. But whether we would, as a church, agree fully with the contents of that law, not necessarily. You know, we should say that, of course, it's hit the headlines here in the US because this is a debate that is starting to take shape here as well. We've seen in recent months also in Canada, there's been great concern over the decriminalization of euthanasia. But we'll keep our eyes opened and pay attention to what's happening throughout the world and especially what the Vatican has to say on this matter. Jerry, on to our final story. Archbishop Georg Ganswein, who was the Pope's personal secretary and also prefect of the papal household for a number of years, has now been asked to leave the Vatican. He has been given an option to stay in Italy, but not the Vatican, and he's also been told that he can return to his diocese in Germany, but he has to leave his apartment at the Vatican following the death of Pope Benedict XVI earlier this year. Some might read this eviction as a kind of retribution from Pope Francis for the polemical things written in his book. However, all previous secretaries of popes have gone back to their own home diocese. That seems to be just as a matter of course, that's what happens when their term comes to an end. Is that correct? Yes. The the, the reality here is Archbishop Ganifine has several times wanted to find out where he should go next. He's 66 years old. He's an archbishop. Well, what do you do with an archbishop who's 66? He had a job in the Vatican as prefect of the papal household for 10 years. In other words, he did two five-year terms of office, and that second term of office ended in January of this year because Benedict appointed him to the post in the January of 2013 just before he resigned from the papacy. It was a way to protect him in some ways. But uh, Francis has made clear that his two terms of office have ended and he's not being extended. Now, Ganschwein recently in in television and in interviews said, uh, the Pope said, I'm thinking about it, I'm waiting. Well, 
obviously this mustn't have been exactly the full story because in the interview with the Argentine journalist last week, the Pope said, I told him very clearly, uh, the secretaries of other Popes have gone back to their home diocese. So he said, there's an option for you. But uh, it's not an option to stay in the Vatican because he has no role. Those who are living in the Vatican should have a role or else they're in retirement and that is accepted. But he's not in either of those situations. And the Pope said, if you don't want to go back to Germany, then maybe you can find a solution in Italy. But what the Pope is very clearly saying, and it, I, I, from what I hear from many Vatican officials, it, it is uh, something that has widespread support within the Vatican, is, you know, your term of office in the Vatican has ended. Now you go out of the Vatican. And he hasn't thrown him out in the morning. Benedict died in the, in the end of December. We are now in the beginning of almost the beginning of May, and he's got still another month or two. So six months to change house is not exactly an offense to anybody. And have we had any reaction from Genschwein? This is the interesting thing. This story broke on Sunday. We are now recording on Wednesday, and there is no news, no denial from Genschwein. No confirmation, nothing. But it is significant, I think, that Ganschwein has not denied it. Well, we'll wait to hear if there'll be any comments from Archbishop Ganschwein himself and if Pope Francis makes any further clarifications. But it seems clear that Archbishop Ganschwein needs to leave the Vatican before the European summer. Thank you, Jerry. Before we sign off, we should just say Colleen will be back next week. So it'll be wonderful to hear from her again after she returns from maternity leave. And it'll be really good to have her back here in the host seat. And we'll wonder if William Oliver will be heard on our podcast. Our first Inside the Vatican baby. So excited to meet him. Thank you. We'll see you next week with Colleen. Thank you. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. It is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering is by Kevin Christopher Robles and production assistance from Kevin Jackson, Christabel Spielman, and Vivian Richards. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. We record Inside the Vatican in the William J. Loschitz Studio at America Media in New York and also at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And you can follow Jerry at Jerry O'Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. The link is in the show notes. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. I'll see you again next week. <laughs>